please join me in prayer before we hear God's word. Almighty God, we yearn for your truth and guidance in this world consumed with self-centered desires, addicted to instant gratification, and stuck in the practice of faltering commitments. Allow us to hear your word and act upon it so we can show the world that we are your people by doing what you have commanded. Please open our eyes and hearts to your will. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, which can be found in your pew Bible on page 721. A new covenant. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. We have been looking at the book of Jeremiah this fall, and this actually marks the final week in the book of Jeremiah. But before we consider that passage that Helen has just read, we now hear our New Testament reading from John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever dreamed in another language. I'm assuming most here, maybe all, have English as a first language. But have you ever dreamed in Spanish, German, or or Arabic, or Chinese? Have you ever had one of these moments where you wake up and think, you know, that language is starting to sink in? I've had it happen just once. It was in college, and I took a summer to live in Annecy, France, I'd taken French in high school and and taken just a little bit of French in college, I think up to maybe 212. And most days I could say next to nothing meaningful in the language of of French. But people kept telling me, no, no, trust me, the language is still in you. It may be dormant, it may be sitting in some unexpressed way, way down there. But there are all kinds of words and phrases that are there in the recesses of your brain. 
Sure enough, I show up in a context where my hosts don't know English and I am forced to figure out some of the basics, forced to try risking some of these words from way down deep because I don't know how otherwise I'm going to get from point A to point B and figure out all the details. And, and yes, words start emerging. Je voudrais un croissant, s'il vous plaît. Mes chaussures, mes chaussettes rouges. I wasn't even wearing red socks, but I started to think of these phrases from my workbook. The accent was not there, but the words, particular words, phrases I hadn't thought of in years, used in years, and about a month into this kind of living, it happened. I don't remember what I dreamed, I just remember there was a dream in basic French. It was strange, and it was really cool. It meant, it meant the language was actually there in a far more settled way than even I was consciously aware. And I think that experience starts to get at the, the heart of this really quite stunning promise that God makes in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. But before we, we hear that again, let, let's back up to appreciate how we got there. Many of you may recall the the Exodus story, right, where the people are brought out of Egypt across the parted sea into the wilderness, and at Mount Sinai, Moses brings forth these these two tablets with God's Ten Commandments. Exodus 31.18 says that the tablets were written with the finger of God. This whole scene is a covenant being made between God and the people, a marriage where both parties are 100% committed to one another. And the essential way in which the people of God are going to show their commitment, their love, is by living out these commandments. These are the tangible expressions of the covenant. We know the story. The people resist and they disobey God's law time and again. Eventually their disobedience is is so great and wayward that that they are taken from their promised land into exile. That, That is the story that unfolds during the 40 years of Jeremiah's preaching. But now in Jeremiah 31, God speaks a word that the marriage is not over. As God has said on a number of other occasions in scripture, despite the betrayal, the unfaithfulness, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The difference, the thing that makes this a a new covenant, it's not that God is sticking with the people. That's been an ongoing thing that God has has stated. The new part is the fact that God speaks about a day when God will, will not write the law on tablets, but write it on the hearts of the people. And by heart, God is speaking of the the core space of our our emotions, our intellect, our will. And so God, the way of God will be etched in this place wherein the the law will be within people at at such a level that it's like a, a language that you can dream in. The law and all of its goodness in life will reside in that kind of depth. It's a stunning promise and it's one that the Christians understand to be made fully available in Jesus. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the law, the full and faithful expression of the law. He's a living, expression, breathing expression. And so when, when you read about Jesus in scripture, you watch Jesus in scripture, what you're reading about, what you're seeing is, is the law of God in perfect motion. And scripture says that this law, this Jesus is within us. Abide in me as I abide in you. 
We'll talk about what it means to abide in Jesus. But notice, as I abide in you, Jesus, the fullness of God's love, God's way, Jesus resides within us. Or or as Paul puts it, we are one with the Lord. We have been, quote, given the mind of Christ. Or yet again, Paul in, in Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Time and again, in different ways in language, the New Testament makes it clear that that God's law, God's way, God's very person, presence, power, abide in us, are one with us, are poured out upon us. Not because we deserve it or earn it, quite the opposite, but simply because God is gracious beyond measure. And so God resides in us in a far more settled way than we are often consciously aware. But then what, what does that mean? I mean, we get what it means for a language to, to reside deep within a person and, and so that there's particular and phrases and all that's kind of like lodged down there and you can even dream in a language. What precisely does it mean for Jesus, the fullness of God, to reside in us? Well, as Christians, we do believe the Ten Commandments very much still do sum up the essence of God's law that Jesus lived. As, as Presbyterians, this is where our, our book of confessions can be so helpful. Because in that book of confessions, we have what's called the Larger Catechism of, from 1647, in which these English writers explicate the Ten Commandments and their meaning for Christians. Like, what, what do these Ten Commandments really, really mean? And one of the more unique features of the catechism is the way that it explains not only what the Ten Commandments forbid, do not do this, but but also the proactive ways one is supposed to and called to live if one is truly obeying the commandments. What they're doing, of course, is writing about the law of God that is etched upon our hearts and writing in very specific ways about what that law looks like when, when the language is brought from within and out into the world in positive action and being. And so here's just a sampling of some of the things written in the larger catechism as it looks at the the Ten Commandments. One question. What is required of the, the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So not just don't chase other gods, but what does it look like to, to live proactively towards that? It involves thinking, meditating, remembering, adoring, loving, desiring, trusting, delighting in God. Okay, so, so people of the new covenant, the people with, with the law of God etched upon their heart, they're not just avoiding the terrible, awful, false God over there, but they're, they delight in the living God proactively. Or, or what about the fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath? What's it look like to live into that? And one of the sentences says, the charge of keeping the, the Sabbath is, is more specifically directed at governors of families and other superiors. Because they are bound not only to keep it for themselves, but to see that it is observed by all those that are under their charge. Okay, so people who have God's law written deeply within their hearts and take, it, take seriously a day of rest for themselves, if they're a parent or in a place of leadership... They're supposed to provide a a space, a work environment, the kind of wages that can also ensure the people under can rest. 
What about the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. And at one point the, the catechism explains father and mother means both biological but also any in authority. Honor all those in authority positions. And explains that implied in the commandment is that those in authority don't get a pass. They have a way in which to obey this commandment. Question 129. So, thinking about honor your father and mother, what is required of superiors towards their inferiors? Parents, children, governing officials, people, church leaders. It is required of superiors to love, pray for, and bless their inferiors, to instruct, counsel, and admonish them, protect and provide for them in all things necessary for soul and body, and by grave, wise, holy, and exemplary carriage to procure glory to God, honor to themselves. Okay, so that's, that's part of what it means to honor your father and mother. Just, just a couple more to get a feel for what we're getting at is not just do not do these things, but to proactively see the law of God flow through a heart. What does it look like? The sixth commandment, do not murder. The duties required of the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any. It also includes a readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, requiting good for evil, protecting the innocent. So it's not just avoiding murder, but these people with the law deeply embedded upon their heart by the grace of God. These are the people, they're doing whatever it takes to preserve life, to resist practices which tend toward the unjust taking of life, to defend the innocent. These are the ones repaying evil with good. Okay, I get it. One more, the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, not just... Don't say bad things about them, but the duties required of the ninth commandment are the preserving and the promoting of truth between man and man or person and person and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own. Standing for the truth and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth. Having a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving and desiring and rejoicing in their good name, Discouraging tale-bearers, flatterers, and slanderers. So in a culture of fake news where folks tear each other down in public, or even where folks quietly gossip around the Thanksgiving table later this week, in that kind of, that kind of culture, these are the people who, who look to speak only what is true, and when they speak, there is a sort of sincere and full and clear way in which they speak. And, and it's always with a carrying of a, of a charitable esteem with, with the other desiring the good name of the other. These are the ones who discourage, did you catch the word? Tale-bearers, the 17th century's word for fake news or gossip. We could spend a lot of time looking through all the commandments, but but I think we start to see how our understanding as Christians, and and, and Presbyterians specifically, is, is not that we just simply... Obey the commandments by avoiding some bad things, but, but proactively live into the positive aspects. The law requires this full expression in myriad of ways. But honestly, as we start to go through each of these commandments and consider what they really mean, this law of God, it does not take very long for us to ask, 
so where are all these people? I mean, even, even in the church, in our own homes, public figures who are Christians, even among the baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have had the Spirit of the living God poured up, out upon our hearts, the law, who is Jesus himself, abides in us. Even in us, we can so lack this pure expression of God's law. In fact, when we do, when we look up at the political scene and and some of the Christians involved there, or back at some of the things we've done in our life or we've seen in the church, or we look ahead to Thanksgiving and we think about even some of the Christians that are going to gather together, for some of us, we can point far too much to, to the opposite of God's law flowing forth. How is it that God can declare that, that God has given God's very self within, and yet sometimes without the evidence can be so sparse? How, how is it that we can have the language of God, the love of God, the law of God deep within, and yet at times it appears too often at best the church gives a halting or a half-hearted or broken expression of, of this language? When we lived in Atlanta, there was a significant Hispanic population near the church. And I had this growing desire to, to learn a little bit of Spanish, see if I could try and connect. I'd taken a short Spanish course here or there after college. And, and of course, I'd taken the French early on. So at some level, I had a very basic understanding of Spanish, a few key verbs and, 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 and uh, vocab words, and, and then generally a, somewhat of a sense of how romance languages work. Well, I was already tutoring at a local elementary school, and long story short, I'm connected to this mother of two students in this school. She'd immigrated from Mexico a number of years ago, and and she was willing to meet at Chick-fil-A on on Saturday mornings to practice the Spanish I was trying to learn. And and she did it for free. I tried. I tried to to pay her for a meal or anything, and she said, no, this this is what others did for me when I came to the country without knowing uh, English. And so I'd sit there with her and her two children, and, and it was definitely a genuine sacrifice of love on her part because, because she would say something and I would actually understand what she was saying. She would ask me a question about what I did yesterday morning. But then trying to find the words in response came so painfully, slowly. My, my brain would hurt. Have you been in this situation trying to find the right subject with the right verb conjugated just right and say it? And even when the words did get out, they sounded terrible. I'd halt at each word. There'd be broken sentences. There'd be trailing off. There'd be adverbs and adjectives all over the place. There was no Spanish accent. But she was patient. She was actually quite good at figuring out what I was saying and what I was getting at. She would say in Spanish, oh, so you're saying you took your dog for a walk yesterday morning and and then you had a banana and oatmeal for breakfast. Is that right? And though I had said maybe no more than four or five of those words, she was giving me far too much credit. She was correct. I mean, that's where I was trying to go. And, And then her saying it, of course, allowed me to latch onto it and say it correctly. And we'd go like this for an hour. And at the end of every hour, my brain hurt so much. Have you been in this situation? Well, I understood the spoken Spanish language. I had the basic foundation concerning the language. Putting it all together into words, let alone a good accent or a complex sentence or soaring poetry. I mean, just putting together a simple sentence demanded 
everything. What if we do understand and have the law of God, Jesus himself, within? What if at a core level we do understand, know it, are, are, are captive to this incredible love? But, but the church sometimes offers a halting or broken or confused witness to that love because, quite frankly, we're still students. We're still disciples. Kingdom of God, 212 students who know the language but are stepping by faith to discover how to put this all together. Yes, Jesus abides in us, but we're still learning how to abide in him, to work out our salvation, as, as Paul puts it. We're still wrestling with how to bring forth the language of God's love in, in, in simple sentences, let alone complex and nuanced and, and poetic and beautiful expressions, novels of, of life. And much like one never really learns a language without risking the vulnerability of audible words, so too our maturity as Christian grows in risking expressions of faith. The motion of faith is where the Holy Spirit does the Spirit's deepest teachings and stretchings. And by the way, this is where the difficult times and the painful times really start to come in. Those are the times, right, that that squeeze us. Those are the times where it's like being in a foreign land and you really don't know where you're going or how to get from point A to point B. You feel a little helpless. You feel a little scared. But like when you're in a foreign land where, where they don't speak the language, those are the times that just flat out force you to risk finding the language that is deep down in there and offering it forth wherever it is. I wonder if we've considered, if if we've gathered this day in a season of pain or angst, that maybe this is also a season inviting us to deepen our fluency and maturity in God's way. Maybe we might even consider that, that one day we'll be back in this very foreign land that's not of our own choosing. But because we've learned some of the language, the next time we're there, we're going to be a guide. And thanks be to God, whether we are this day in a tough spot or or we're doing okay right now. Even when our acts of faithfulness are halting or broken and and, and uncertain as putting together a language, the Holy Spirit is so very faithful to figure out how to translate our words and our actions and communicate them in ways that are far more powerful and loving than we could ever ask for or imagine. The Holy Spirit has a way of drawing out far more than what we have offered. But before we worry about the next sentence God is calling us to speak, I want to just back up to the promise one more time. Have you ever dreamed in the law of God? The way of God, the way of Jesus? Dreamed what the world or your family or this city or the church would look like if the law of God were made on earth as it is in heaven? I mean, Martin Luther King Jr., right? I have a dream. That's, that's dreaming, right, in accordance with God's law. Well, the assurance of our scripture today from Jeremiah is that written upon us in the recesses of our unconscious in our heart is Jesus himself. The word who is God resides as language resides. And it makes good sense that from time to time we would dream according to the word within That that language is so deep and real in us that it would capture us and well up in in, in ways that desire to find expression 
How would you know, of course, if you had woken up and, or, 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 or you are awake and, and you're dreaming in accordance with the law of God, the way of Jesus? Thankfully, we have scripture which testifies to that word and testifies to what God's heart is all about. So, for instance, there are visions in scripture of, of some of God's dreams, Scripture speaks of a day when God's law is so fully known and lived. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days. An old person who does not live out a lifetime. There will be a day when, speaking of exiles and, and those without a home, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The stranger who lives as a foreigner with you shall be to you as a native born or, or there's visions also concerning nations and people groups. They, they shall beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Or, or there's, 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 there's this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I have come that they might have life, and life abundant, life eternal. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or I love this one. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. There are so many. But have you found in your lifetime that certain promises of Scripture rise up from within the recesses of your heart and and seem to leap from the page of Scripture and and you, with your giftedness and your time in history, sense a particular call to know that promise for yourself, to be part of living into and sharing that promise in this world? Can't do it all, can't do everything, but, but does a particular one dream catch you? It makes sense that if Jesus is written upon our heart that from time to time we would dream and ache and long for these lofty visions of what the kingdom of God looks like on earth that it is in heaven. It would make sense for us to ache for those dreams to be given tangible articulation in the world. And as my experience in France and with the woman at Chick-fil-A can readily attest, the best way to draw out an already there language is to risk practicing putting it into simple sentences and so if your heart this day aches for the day when swords become farming tools and that seems so unattainable as writing beautiful poetry in a foreign language start with a simple sentence a single step of faith in which the language within is given visible expression a prayer a bible study attending the event the service of worship, a conversation over coffee with someone further along. Because many of us who gather this day as Kingdom of God 101 or 212 or 301 students, I think we are invited to remember again some of the dreams of Scripture that have captured our heart over the years. And now what's the next sentence we're being called to speak? What is the tone being called to strike because the Holy Spirit will be faithful to translate the Holy Spirit is faithful along the way even to help, help us so that our life speaks with a godly tone of compassion and courage 
In fact, the Holy Spirit is faithful over the years to hone our accents so much that, that the longer we live, the more people say, yeah, I know she is from such and such a place, but, but the way her life speaks, her accent, that is kingdom of God more than anything else I'm hearing. That is Jesus in, in fullness and depth and beauty. That life is, is poetry. And indeed, God will be faithful to grow us into full maturity. Speak the next sentence of the language that is already there. 